You're listening to Comedy Central. June 6, 2018. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Our guest tonight is an author, a feminist, and one of the smartest people I will ever talk to. Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie is here, everybody! Some news stories help us understand the world we live in, and some news stories are just stupid. For those, we turn to Ronnie Chang. Thanks, Trevor. For the past few years, I've been intensely watching children in playgrounds. I and right, I... right, right, Ronnie. Uh, sorry, that, that sounded wrong. I don't think you were allowed to do that. Okay, calm down. It's for my online child psychology degree. All right, jeez. <laughs> Sounds just like the cops. Anyway, in my research, I just discovered a really stupid trend. Many communities do everything they can to keep playgrounds safe. The problem is they may also be stifling creativity. That's why some cities are taking a swing in the opposite direction. So-called adventure playgrounds. At this New York City playground, the toys are tools, real hammers and nails. I just decided that this is getting really crowded and... That's true. And so the 11-year-old started building an addition to the playground fort. Okay, I don't care what you say. That is not a playground. That is a junkyard, okay? All that's missing is a pit bull with rabies and the fat Albert gang. They're making kids play with hammers and nails. That's not adventure. It's just work. They're tricking kids into building their own playground. And, and I gotta tell you, this exact same thing happened to me back home in Asia, right? And by the time we were done playing, we had finished a whole new line of Nikes. And this idea isn't new, all right? Like most American sitcoms and America itself, this is just another British remake. Adventure Playgrounds first blossomed in the UK after World War II thanks to this woman, Marjorie Allen. She turned London bomb sites into places kids could do pretty much whatever they wanted. Just so we're clear, she didn't turn bomb sites into playgrounds. She just brought kids to play in bomb sites. <laughs> all right? And all that did was teach kids that Hitler built them playgrounds. No wonder we have so many Nazis again. But here's the thing, all right? I don't mind if kids get hurt, okay? Because who cares about that? Wait, 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 wait. Oh, I thought you said you were studying child psychology. Yo, do you want me to get a lawyer or do you want me to finish the segment? All right, jeez. It's got them deposition over here. I'm just saying, I don't care if parents build their kids a death trap. They're not my kids, all right? What's stupid is when parents try to pretend that it's teaching them something. After taking a sledgehammer to these wood pallets, we watched the kids pile up the broken boards and set them on fire. Not that I want them to get hurt, but it's part of growing up, it's part of learning. Oh yeah, that kid's a genius. Um, I don't know if his brain can handle that much learning. I mean, ask him what his favorite number is, it's probably Jello. And these parents are so committed to hurting their kids, they're bragging about it. 
Embracing the freedom of adventure play may be easy in theory. Excuse me, guys. But what happens when someone steps on a nail? When it happened to Addison Block, we noticed her mom, Jill, let her other daughter keep playing. We went in knowing that it's a place they could get hurt. It's the type of experience that kids in the city don't always get. I think that's great. You're right, Mom. You know, you just can't get good tetanus in the city these days. Anyway. You know what else you don't get in the city anymore? Polio. Why don't we dig up Franklin Roosevelt's bones and have kids rub up against them? Look, parents, just admit that you want to leave your kids alone in a vacant lot because you're sick of them. There's no shame in that. Again, it happened to me all the time. My mom left me at grocery stores and off-track bedding parlors and the highway, but she never called them playgrounds, okay? She had the decency to look me deep in my eyes and say, Ronnie, I'm leaving you. And that is called parenting. Ronnie Chang, everybody. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is a critically acclaimed author from Nigeria whose most recent best-selling book is called Dear Ijiawele, or A Feminist Manifesto in 15 Suggestions. Please welcome Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you here because uh, I've been a fan of your work for a long time. I've been a fan of your words for a long time. I have to ask you before we get into the book, as a person who is considered as one of the most foremost feminists of our time, why is it that so many people see the word feminist as a negative thing? Um, because I think that feminism has long been associated with the most extreme versions of it. So people think a feminist is sort of a crazy woman who hates men and doesn't shave and... <laughs> right? <laughs> and so all of these sort of really crazy negative stereotypes that right. have been attached to feminism. And so people don't want to associate with it. Right? There are people who've said to me, why do you call yourself feminist? Why don't you just say you're a humanist or an equalist? But that is what feminism is. Right. right? Feminism is about justice for everyone. But you have to name a problem. And the problem is it's women who've been excluded. So we need to call it what it is. Wow. That's fascinating, because that's... that's um... <laughs> in many ways... In many ways, that's, that's the same thing people say about Black Lives Matter. All yes. they go to one, yes. you say all lives matter. Yes. It's like, well, we know the rest of the lives matter. The problem yes. needs to be exactly. addressed, Exactly, yes, yes. The, the, the book that you have written here is, is, is really different from your other offerings. It's a feminist manifesto in 15 suggestions. And I like that you keep making it easier and easier and easier <laughs> for people to be <laughs> feminists. This, this is a really interesting book. How did this book come about? Um, so a few years ago, I wrote, my friend had a baby. And so she said to me, I want her to be feminist. I want her life to be better than mine. What should I do? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and then, so then I thought I should write her a letter. Right. So I, it was an email that I wrote to her. And, and then I decided to turn it into a book and I made a few changes, but really it, it was for my friend. And only after I had a baby, my daughter is two and a half, did I realize how easy it is to sort of tell people what to do about child raising when you don't have a child. Right. <laughs> it's much easier to deal with a hypothetical child than a real child. <laughs> but I'm still trying to follow all of the suggestions. It's, it's just that it's, it's more difficult than you would think. What, what would you say is the most difficult part of teaching a child or raising a child to be a feminist? 
you know, it's not that it, it's, it's easy to do, but it's that you have to fight against, it sort of feels like the universe has a conspiracy against you. So you, you tell your child, you know, you don't have to play with dolls, but then you go to the store and the girls' sections are just dolls. Right. And, you know, th there's still very much that, that blue and pink binary in the wall. And you're uh -huh. trying to teach your child that, you know, you can be whoever you want to be. So it can feel as though there's a lot that you need to push back. Right, right, you right. You know, from the world. But, um, but it's doable. I'm, I'm very optimistic about how we can change the world. What, what I've always admired about your, your words on feminism is that you, you don't seem to live in a world where it's abstract or it's just extreme. Like, it, it, does, yeah. it never seems to me like you talk about feminism like it's like, this is how it is, and it's, it's, it, that is the way it is. Like, in the, in the book, for instance, there are some suggestions where you talk about how you can encourage your daughter, if she's a daughter, to be anything she wants to be, to like blue, to play with boys' toys, etc. But that shouldn't mean that she should shun her femininity. Yeah. That's yeah. not what feminism yeah. is. Yeah. So when people find themselves caught up in a conundrum with feminism, like what is the one thing they could say to themselves that just makes it easier to understand? Um, think of yourself as an individual. Right. <laughs> right. There's no, I mean, I think feminism and femininity are not mutually exclusive, right? I think that the early feminists in the West shunned femininity because femininity had for so long been used as a way to put them down. So women right. were property. You're supposed to look pretty and stay at home. So I think when women started to push back against that, they were like, we don't want pretty. But I think now we've come to a stage where we can accept that people can be many things, right? right? You can be feminine and feminist. It depends on whether you want to be. Uh -huh. The problem is if somebody is pushing you to be what you don't want to be, then that's not feminism. Right? Right. So, so I usually say to women who are thinking about it, just think of your, your individual self, right? What do you like? And is that thing causing you harm, right? Uh -huh. is, it, is it somehow, is it reducing your spirit? Is it making you resentful? Because I think that when there's really quality, resentment will not exist, right? In relationships where people are unhappy because there's a gender problem, yes. there's resentment. If there isn't a problem, you just, you don't have resentment. You kind of know it's intuitive, I think. Right. Yeah. Would you say then it's still possible for a woman? I mean, I, I know my mom always says this to me, but some people struggle with the concept. Would you say it's possible for a woman to say, I am, I'm a feminist, I believe in equality, but I still want a man to open the door for me. I, I like that gesture, or is that problematic in of itself? You know, the thing about, by the way, your mother is wonderful. Just from reading your book. Thank you. You're so you. fortunate to have been raised by her. Trev, I'm serious. <laughs> I, think, I think everything good in you is because your mother raised you. <laughs> you know what's funny is... Now we don't... <laughs> now we... <laughs> oh, no. I, I appreciate that, but it, and the way you said it is, it's a beautiful compliment that sounds like an insult. You know, it's just like everything good in you is from your mom. The rest so, of that shit is you. That's you and your dad. But yeah, but thank you. But but but, no, but really, how do you respond reading, but, to that to that idea? I think I think gestures like holding the door shouldn't be gendered. I think it's a lovely thing to hold the door, but we should hold the door for everyone. Right. Right. I hold the door for men. Right. And women. Um, so I think the idea of sort of holding the door for a woman because she's a woman, it, I, I have trouble with it. I'm quite happy for people to hold the door for me, right. but I hope they're not doing it because of this sort of idea of chivalry. Because chivalry is really about the idea that women are somehow weak. Right, right, right. right. And, and need protecting. That, but we know that really there are many women who are stronger than many men. Right. right? <laughs> so really what I think is that the people we should protect are people who need protecting, whether right. men or women. Which is also why I sort of have trouble with the idea of women and children. When women are classified in the same, you know, when, when there's a tragedy and we say women and children should leave first. I think actually it's the people who are weak, unwell, you know, 
Oh, yawn. Wow, that's we interesting. Should, we should leave first, yeah. Wow, this is like a more eloquent argument of what some of the guys on the Titanic said. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, I, I think Chimamanda would want me to leave. <laughs> uh, women and children stay behind. But, but I, I, I really do understand <laughs> what you were saying. Here, you, there's, there's a fascinating um, passage in the book, and this was, it, it's called The Seventh Suggestion, and in this, it's, um, it, the line, the, the paragraph starts with, um, never speak of marriage as an achievement. And then when we skip forward, it says, when Hillary Clinton was running for president of the United States, the first descriptor on her Twitter account was wife. The first descriptor on the Twitter account of Bill Clinton, her husband, is founder, not husband. Because of this, I have an unreasonable affection for the very few men who use husband as their first descriptor. Do you think in, in that moment it made you feel like uh, in society, we've created a world where the best thing you can be as a woman sometimes is a wife to a man, but a man can have every other achievement. Was that the problem with that idea for yourself? Yes, yes. But it's also the, the larger question of what we expect of women in public life. Why? I think that there are many people for whom Hillary Clinton is not relatable right. unless she um, primarily defines herself in domestic terms, wife mother, but wife in particular, right. right? because I think it makes people feel comfortable. I think people are very, um, people don't know what to do with the idea of a woman who has power or who's seeking power. And so the way to somehow temper that is to say, well, wife, I'm a wife, so therefore I'm not that scary. Right. right? And it's not, I mean, obviously I think marriage is a wonderful thing and it can be, you know, just such a, a joy and, and all of that, but it's that we raise girls to aspire to marriage in a way we don't raise boys to. Right. And I think there's a problem with that. So you have little girls who, from very early on, are thinking about the wedding dress, right? I don't know how many boys think about their wedding tuxedos. Right. right? <laughs> Not and at all. Yeah, that's true. So what it means is that there's, there's an immediate imbalance, I think, right, in just the idea of what is aspirational. And so I think what we should do is in raising boys and girls, teach them that love is wonderful, marriage is wonderful, but none of that is something that one should aspire to. Right, when you say to a girl, oh, you got, you got your PhD, but when are you getting married? <laughs> right, which is a common phrase we, we, we hear all the time. When, when raising a, a child and saying, I'm going to raise a feminist, for many people, the immediate connotation that will come to their mind is, oh, that means you're raising a daughter. Yeah, yeah. But from reading your work, a lot of the work has to be done by men. Men yeah. need to participate. Yeah. Why is that so important? Because men have to be on board. I think you can change women all you want. If you don't change men, nothing changes because we share the world, right? It's men and women. And I also think, sadly, that we live in a world where men are more likely to listen to men. Oh. It's true. Wow. You don't think so? So then how do you convince the first man? Um, <laughs> I think some men have already been convinced. I think people like Barack Obama, right. for example, is a very good role model because he's feminist and he's cool. Right, so, so he's actually a good, and, and we need more men like that to speak up. I think men need to speak up. Men need to be on board. Men need to not think of feminism as something to sort of, um, something that's attacking them. Right. So I think some men think that. They need to understand that feminism is something that's good for everyone. Because really, when all of us are released from gender roles, we're all better off. Right. right? And in the end, it's about justice. Don't we want to live in a just world? So there's some men who've been convinced. More men need to be. Um, Trevor, you should uh, get cracking. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
Oh man, I'm, I'm gonna call my mom. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna call my mom. Thank you so much for being on the show. So lovely I really to love see speaking you. to you every single time. It's an amazing book. Dear Ijiawele is available now. Chimamanda Adichie, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.